Well, good morning, church. I'm glad that you made it here a little bit lighter than normal, but you guys are the, the strong ones, right? <laughs> Fighting through to get here. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we are in the middle of a series that we've called The Disciplined Life. That first week, a couple weeks ago, we uh, preached on 2 Timothy 2.15 that says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, the workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now remember, right off the bat, we made sure to nail down the understanding that uh, salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We aren't saved by our works. We, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy. However, that doesn't mean that our good works don't matter. Just because we're saved by grace doesn't mean we can just live the way we want to then after that. We are, we are called, in fact, to give our lives up for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, we weren't saved by good works, but we were created for them. It's not good works that saves us, but however, after salvation, we are created for good works. And in Matthew 5.16, as we've, we've read multiple times, we are told to let our light shine so that others may see our good works so that we can give glory to our Father in heaven. Our good works do matter. Last week we looked at the discipline of the Bible. And it's not that we have to read it to check it off our list as if, you know, that is what the magic thing is, is, you know, if I live a disciplined life, that means all I got to do is read the Bible, I check it and I'm good. But we talked about the amazing reality that the Bible is literally God's word. He breathed it out. He inspired men to that men wrote exactly what God wanted. I mean, isn't that an amazing thing? The most powerful, what do you say, like the, the most powerful being in all creation, the, the God who is the creator wrote a letter to us. And the beauty of that is that it's profitable for us. It, it helps us out. It, it, it leads, guides, and directs us. Like this is something that's beneficial to us. It's not burdensome. It's a gift. Well, this morning we are going to talk about another discipline that is crucial for our walk with our God, and that is the discipline of prayer. So let's look together now at Matthew 6. Uh, certainly there are parts of this that should be familiar to every believer who is here, and even if you find yourself as an unbeliever, you have heard probably some portion of this. So Matthew 6, follow with me as I start reading in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. 
And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who was our sacrifice so that we would be made right with you. And Lord, I thank you for the words that we have that he spoke that are written here in the book of Matthew, Lord, that show us how to pray. And and Lord, we could look at this and and we could just kind of be familiar with the Lord's prayer. And Father, this is jam-packed full of things that will help us and lead us to a place of a deeper prayer in you. And so God, I just pray. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would allow us to take an inventory, a look at our lives and our prayer lives in particular. And God, that we would see if, if we are following the example that the Lord has given us here. God, that we would grow in our understanding of prayer, that we would grow in its magnitude uh, in our lives, Lord, what prayer does for us and how it draws us near to you, how it leads us to deeper dependence. God, would you, would you grow our prayer lives this week, Lord? And really, that is ultimately uh, bringing more glory to you. God, we need you this morning. Encourage us, challenge us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I mean, as we think about prayer, really, what better person is there to learn from than our Savior, Jesus? In Luke's matching account in Luke 11, we see that the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. That's a good question, isn't it? To ask the Lord for things. Jesus, how do we pray? And this morning, we are going to look at seven keys to a disciplined prayer life based on our Savior's words. Here's the first key. Beware of praying to impress man. Beware of praying to impress man. Look again at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that there may be seen, they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Now, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were known for boasting for their works, right? We know that. We see it here. The hypocrites, they like to go on the street corners and, and pray and be impressive. And, and really what, what Jesus says here is their reward is that people see them. That's the reward. Congratulations. You get what you want. People hear you, see you. They may or may not be impressed with you, but your reward it ends there. It doesn't go beyond that. The Pharisees also, if you remember reading through the Gospels, they loved to sit at the high places when it came to times of feasts, like, you know, the places of honor. They would look to jockey position to get to the top. They, they had no concern and no understanding of humility. All they wanted to do was be seen and be known and be thought of greatly by the people around them. So what Jesus is saying here is flying in the face of the culture. And no doubt, I think we would all agree, it flies in the face of the culture of our world today still. Of wanting to be noticed, of wanting to be seen, of wanting to impress others. But what we are called to do here in light of prayer is don't pray to impress man. Prayer isn't some kind of performance that you are trying to win. God is simply calling us to come to him. Prayer is mainly when we come together, it's our focus on him. It's, it's, it's our dependence on him and it has nothing to do with those around us. You ever been in a setting where somebody prays in the King James language? Thou hast done many great and wonderful things. Thou hast provided for us a substitute on our behalf that we might findeth salvation in thou alone. You know what I mean? Have you ever been around people who just, you can tell, like, they don't talk anything like that, but when they pray, it's like this different person. And you're like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, who is this lady praying like this? What are they doing trying to sound all smart and, and wise? This is not the goal of prayer, to sound wise, to try to impress men. Prayer is not a competition that we are going to be judged on. So don't look at it that way. And don't look for the praise of man. Remember, what are we called to do? Do good works that people may see them so that what? We can give glory to our Father in heaven. Not so that they can look at us and think that we're pretty cool or something special. Our, 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 even yesterday, I, I will get into that. I'll get into, I'll get into that later. I don't want to get us distracted here. But prayer is a conversation between us and the Father. And ultimately, whose opinion is the only one that matters anyway? God's. And what did he do for us? He spared no expense for our pardon. The people that you are trying to impress, what did they do for you? <laughs> you ever find that? You ever think about that? Those that we try to impress? Like, why are we trying to impress them? And what have they possibly done for us that would make us even want to impress them? Especially in light of what our Savior did for us on the cross. Now some of you might want to look at these verses and decide that, hey, this is my way out. See, I didn't need to pray. Why don't we pray corporately? I didn't need to do that. I don't need to come to like prayer gatherings because you know what? The scriptures say clearly right here that I am called to pray by myself in my closet. So I'm going to just do that. And you can't make me come to some meeting. Like, listen. Like, look, first of all, let's establish here, this is, Jesus isn't saying, hey, the only way to pray, the only time to pray is by yourself in your closet. What he's saying is that when you pray, this is not a performance. This is not something that you are trying to do to say words to impress people around you. 
And so, really, when we think about this, there are, we can emphasize one of two ways. Like, we can, we can fail on two different ways in light of this. Number one, first of all, the obvious one would be that we have the temptation sometimes to pray. Certainly, I have probably been guilty of that. Guilty of praying to try to impress others. That's the blatant, obvious failure in light of this. But there is an, another way that we can fail in light of trying to impress. Sometimes we choose not to pray because we're afraid that we won't be impressive to pray. Isn't that still pride? <laughs> like we choose not to pray. I'm not saying that everybody has to pray publicly, but, but we can trick ourselves to thinking, oh, I don't have to pray publicly, we'll let somebody else do it. But deep down in our hearts, it could be that we are afraid of what people will think of us if we pray out loud. Fear of man. That's caring far more about what people think of us than we care about what the Savior said for us. Both of these are forms of pride. If we choose to pray to try to get people impressed and we choose not to pray because we're afraid we won't impress, both are prideful. So the first key in faithful, disciplined prayer is beware of praying to impress man. Look at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Here's key number two. Beware of praying to impress God. Beware of praying to impress God. Not only do we have to be careful not to impress God, People try to impress people with their prayers, but it's also useless to try to impress God. We can sometimes fool ourselves to think that a quantity of time spent praying will impress him. Our many words will somehow lead him to answer our prayers and that he will hear us. If you are judging your prayers by the length of them, by the amount of time you spend in it, you are missing the boat. Praying to impress God can look like flowery prayers where we use big words and dramatic flair to try to impress upon God as if somehow he doesn't already know what we need. If you want to know what impresses God, Psalm 51:17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God you will not despise. God isn't looking for you to bring your resume to him when you pray. God is looking for the broken, contrite heart who understands how desperate they are for the Savior. God isn't looking for impressive people. He doesn't need to know your theology degree and how you can use big theological words in your prayers. Remember, our ultimate goal in life is what? To glorify God. To bring praise to him. We don't need to use many words to try to impress God. And think about it. Our, our coming to him gives praise to him, doesn't it? We're coming, we're presenting our needs, we're praising him, and we're bringing attention to say, God, the only one I can come to is you. 
So we're not trying to impress God about what he thinks about us. We are trying to make God look glorious. Now we can get tripped up on this because one extreme way to approach this would be to, you know what, Lord, I've already bothered you yesterday on this, so I'm not going to bother you again today, so I'm just going to be done. As if persistent prayer is the problem. Persistent prayers over a genuine need are not what Jesus is referring here. I mean, think about the persistent widow. You remember in Matthew 18, the parable of the persistent widow, where she's got all these needs and she keeps coming and begging over and over and over again, and obsessively so, to the point where the guy finally says, fine, take what you need and stop bothering me. And God, and Jesus said, what? Approach me this way. So it's not about persistence. It's about trying to impress God. Like if we got a desperate need, if we got somebody who's, who's in health, like health crisis or whatnot that is in a place of dire need, then we should hit our faces over and over and over again. It's not about persistence. It's about trying to impress. It's about the condition of the heart, trying to think that God will hear our prayers if we say it a certain way. I mean, you look at the Psalms and you see a lot of rawness there, don't you? You ever, you, read the psalm, you ever read some of the psalms? You're like, whoa, that is, like, like destroy my enemies, rip them apart, you know? Things like this where the, the rawness of, of humanity that we see in prayer, that's, that's, that's what we're called to do, a broken and contrite heart. So beware of praying to impress God. Here's key number three. Pray with the church in mind. Pray with the church in mind. Look at verse 9 there. Notice, what's the first word of the prayer? What do you see there? The actual prayer. What is the first word? Go ahead. Our. Isn't that interesting? Why didn't Jesus say, my Father, who art in heaven? Why does he use a plural form there? And look all throughout this prayer, there's a, a focus on plurality. Verse 11, give us our daily bread. Verse 12, forgive us as we also forgive others. Verse 13, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us. You see, so often our prayers can be so inwardly focused, so self-consumed that we are not thinking about the big C church Notice there the spelling of church. I have capital C because I'm not referring necessarily to Gospel Community Church. Because I can't assume that everybody who comes to Gospel Community Church is part of the Big C Church. The Big C Church are those who have genuinely repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ. That's the Big C Church. How often are you thinking of all the other believers around you, all the other believers around the world? You see, so often our prayers are so self-focused that we get swallowed up in our own issues that we forget the fact that we are about the kingdom of God, not about the kingdom of self. Prayer is not just about me and living in an individualized culture makes it very difficult, doesn't it? How often do you see we sacrifice the whole for the few? We start changing rules for the very few, or for the everybody, for the sake of a very small amount of people. Like we have lost the sight of the fact that we belong to a group of believers. 
And you can see this in church sometimes. You can see this amongst pastors where all of a sudden a new church comes into the area. Now, I have, I'm not saying I've experienced this, but I have heard of pastors who have been very territorial as if, like, we aren't working together. <laughs> like, every Bible-believing, Christ-preaching church, every believer who has truly repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ, we're all together into this, right? This isn't a competition between gospel community church and how fast can we grow and can we steal people from other churches? No, we're just here to help bring more glory to God and build the kingdom of God. Oh, our focus needs to go outside of ourselves so that we begin to have a a plurality mentality. That we're thinking of the big C church, that we understand that we're working together and just because somebody goes to another church doesn't mean that they're our enemy. Listen, there are 200,000 people plus in the Elkhart County area. Can Gospel Community Church possibly disciple all 200,000 people? Absolutely not. We are one small part of the big picture. But how often are your prayers focused on others? How often are your prayers thinking about other believers? And how they can grow in their faith, how God could strengthen them, how the persecuted church, that they would have strong, bold faith even in the midst of of trials and suffering. There's something freeing when we pray with others in mind. Life gets really depressing when our eyes are turned inward. So let me encourage you, be adventurous. Pray with the big C church in mind. Look at verse 9 again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the next key. Pray ultimately for the glory of God. Pray ultimately for the glory of God. Notice it says that that God is our Father. That means he, he cares intimately for us. Now, I want you to think of a father who is loving. It's perhaps some of you. I know there, there are some people that I've talked to that they really struggle singing songs like Good, Good Father because they didn't have an earthly father that was loving and showed them the love of Christ. But I think we can all at least conceptualize to a certain degree what a loving father should be. Someone who protects someone who leads you know often when my kids are scared what they do is come hide behind dad why they come jump in dad's arms why because they feel safe they feel secure that's the the god that we run to one that is our protector not one who's ready to whoop us every time we get in trouble but one who cares deeply for us and he disciplines but he does so in a way that is loving and kind that draws us more near to him and protects us from evil this is the father that we pray to a father is accessible we can go to him boldly the scriptures say in hebrews yet we still also must remember this our father in heaven god is almighty he's all-powerful He is sovereign. He is ruler. We don't approach him flippantly. There's a sense of awe when we come before him because he is reigning in heaven. He is reigning in glory. Yet he's not a harsh king, but a powerful, loving father 
to his children. Look at verse 9. In, in verse 9 there, we see the first request. What's his first request? Hallowed be your name. Here's how the CSB translated it. Your name be honored as holy. Notice the first thing isn't, God, give me. God, I need health. God, I need wisdom. It has nothing to do with anything about himself. His first request is that God would be worshipped. It's a Godward focus. His prayer is that he would be lifted up. Father, before I even mention anything that I need, the greatest answer to prayer I can get is that you would be glorified. Our prayers are to be God-centered. When we go to pray, we start with a vertical focus. The prayer continues. Your kingdom come. Father, I don't want to establish my throne and rule here. I don't need to worry about my comfort here as much as I want your kingdom to grow. That's my prayer for us. Why do we exist as the church? We don't exist to grow gospel community church. Do you understand that? We exist to grow the kingdom of God. If, 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 we are, if Jesus has, doesn't return soon enough, chances are that gospel community church will come and go, but the kingdom of God will be stronger than ever because of it, Lord willing. We are here to advance God's kingdom, not to advance gospel community church, not to advance our own kingdoms. Yet, How often are our prayers so focused on us and me and make my life easier instead of centering our hearts on God above everything else? I just want you to be glorified and honored. I just want your kingdom to come. You establish your reign here. Lord, you grow your kingdom. And we need to be reminded here where we, what we stand for, what we are ultimately here for. That is to grow the kingdom of God. If you've ever joined us in a prayer gathering, even this morning, when we gather together to pray, what's the first thing that we're doing? Praising God. It's a vertical focus. We need our attention away from ourselves. We don't need more attention on ourselves. We need our hearts to be focused on him because we are so tempted to just be overwhelmed by our own circumstances, our own issues, our own troubles. And we need to start off by recentering our hearts to the Lord. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just think about that, how that prayer can change our focus of the rest of our prayers. God, I'm about to give my request to you. I'm about to bring them to you. But Lord, the main thing I want above everything is for you to establish your kingdom. And if your kingdom will further advance by you allowing certain trials in my life, so be it. If your will is different than my request, then Lord, may your will be done. I surrender to you. Do you remember Jesus' prayer when he was on the cross? Or when he was in the garden, sorry? Do you remember what he prayed? Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. Aren't you glad that God has his will done, not our own? 
when we start with this vertical focus that, God, however you answer these prayers, I want it to be for your glory. I'm going to make some requests, but if you choose not to grant those requests, because by allowing me to suffer in certain ways and doing it to the glory of God, that you will receive more glory and your kingdom will advance, so be it. Let me ask you, how often do you pray that way? How often do you pray with finishing, not my will, but yours be done? If I'm honest, there are far too many times where the only thing I can think about is like, get me out of this. 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 The Lord is gracious. I'm, please don't let yourself beat, beat yourself up. But I just want to encourage you to remind you, like, what is the greatest prayer request to be answered? That God's kingdom would come. Do you realize every healing prayer that has been answered has ultimately ended in not being ultimately answered physically? Here's what I mean. The people who were healed in the body, healed in the Bible, where are they at now? In the grave. God may choose to heal you here on this earth, and certainly we pray for that, right? I'm not saying we don't pray for that. But ultimately, our bodies are going to fail us anyway. But the kingdom of God will advance, and someday we're going to be in glory, and we'll have new bodies. Prayers that honor the Lord are prayers centered around the honoring of God's name as holy. Is there a vertical focus to your prayer? Is your greatest desire that God would be glorified and lifted high? Or do you find yourself praying self-centered prayers? Do, you, do your prayers center around God relieving you and, and you spending very little time, if any, lifting high his name? You know, too often we magnify our problems and that often makes God look smaller. But when we flip that script and make God greater in our understanding, all of a sudden we begin to understand our problem can't hold the flame to the king of kings. When God is great, our problems grow smaller. But the smaller God gets in our hearts, the greater our problems will look. How great is God? In your prayers. Let your prayers ultimately be for the glory of God. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here's the next key. Pray from a place of humility. Pray from a place of humility. Humility. Notice in this entire model prayer from Jesus, verse 11 is the only part where something material is requested. And what is it? It's food. We can't survive without eating, we can't survive without food. God, I don't need an abundance of food today. Just give me what I need today. Sustain my needs so that I am not sidetracked by my stomach growling. Just, just give me my daily food. That's what I need. As far as anything else physical, there's nothing else I need. I need daily food, Lord. Would you provide it for me? 
do you realize that you are dependent on God for food? That should humble us. He, he could shut off the water supply. He could drain every ocean, every lake. He could take away all the crops and leave us starving, but yet he hasn't. You see, here in America, we are tempted to believe that we are the providers. Most, if not every one of us this week on Thursday, will be sitting around a table that's full of more food than you could ever imagine, leftovers for days. But are you thankful, and do you realize that that's a gift from the Lord? Like he is the provider for you. It's not your paycheck. It's not how amazing you work. It's ultimately God's provision because if you make money and there's no food to buy, then you could starve. God has been gracious to us. Do When you pray, are you aware that you are dependent on him even for the sustenance of food and water? But let's be honest. Food is not the greatest provision that God has made for us. Verse 12, forgive us our debts. Sit on that for a second. We were all born into this world in debt, weren't we? All born separated from God by our sin. You know, someone shared this statistic with me this week that just showed the sad state of professing evangelicals in the U.S. So every two years, uh, perhaps you've heard of it. This, this is from thestateoftheology.com. If you want to look it up later, thestateoftheology.com. Every two years, the Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research puts together a survey to just kind of take the theological temperature of the U.S. And one of the statements that they gave for people to either agree or disagree on was this. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. And to my astonishment, 65% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. 65% of evangelicals believe that we are born innocent. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, it's absolutely false. The scriptures are very clear that we were born into sin. In sin did my mother conceive me. Verse 51.5 says, that Psalms 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We weren't born innocent. Don't believe that because that changes the way you pray if you believe that somehow you came into this world innocent. And all of a sudden, maybe our greatest problem isn't that we're sinning. Our greatest problem is that life is just hard and I need a relief. Brothers and sisters, we don't, we don't need a little relief. We don't need a band-aid. We are dead. We need life. We are born separated. And this is why we should approach prayer from a place of humility. The very fact that we can come and approach the throne of grace with confidence should blow us away. When they had a priest who represented the king of Israel in the Old Testament. They built a tabernacle, and in the middle was the Holy of Holies. And when the high priest would go in there to offer a sacrifice, they had to tie a rope around his foot because if God chose to strike him dead, they could pull him out. And yet, what happened when Jesus died on the cross? 
the veil was torn. And the, may, the way was made for us to be made right with the King of Kings. We can come to him boldly. There's not a person here who should walk out of here with pride. There's not a person here who should ever bow their knees and pray to the Father without understanding the magnitude and the amazing reality that we get to pray to God. That is an amazing thing. Let me ask you, when you approach the throne of grace, do you approach prayer in humility? Understanding that your very sustenance to stay alive is a gift from him. Understanding that you have crazy debt that you could not pay that he paid for. Pray from a place of humility. Verse 12, look at the second part of that. Forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Here's the next key. Beware of letting unforgiveness hinder your prayers. Beware of letting unforgiveness hinder your prayers. Here's a very important thing that we must understand. We cannot be in a great place with the Father and at the same time harbor bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. We can be believers, but we can't be in great standing with our Father if we are choosing to hold Forgiveness back from somebody. Look at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is not hiding any punches here. If you do not forgive, God will not forgive you. However, if you do forgive, God will forgive you. I mean, just think, think a minute. Think a minute from the perspective of Jesus' forgiveness of us and just think of the absurdity of us choosing not to forgive somebody else. Now listen, even in saying that, I know uh, there are people here who have probably been hurt deeply by somebody. Forgiveness does not mean it's no big deal. Forgiveness means you're taking that person off of your hook and you're putting them on God's hook. And God will do whatever he will with them. But think of the absurdity of holding forgiveness against somebody. It, it really reminds me of the, the parable of the unforgiving servant. You remember that parable? Uh, where the guy is owed, the servant is owed an absorbent amount of money. Probably never in his lifetime could he repay back his master. And he begs for mercy. And his master gives him forgiveness and sets him free from his debt. As soon as the servant goes out, he finds the servant under him who owed him a debt that was far less than what he owed his master, demands him to pay it back. He begs for mercy. He refuses and throws him in jail. Meanwhile, the previous master hears of the unforgiveness of the person whom he just forgiven a huge debt and takes everything back that he had said, throws him into prison, and then makes him pay back all his debts. That's, that's what we do if we choose to harbor bitterness and unforgiveness against somebody who has sinned against us. Because we've forgotten the great forgiveness that we have received from our Savior. Here's the reality, though, of our sin. Our sin caused a perfect Savior to lose his life. Nothing is greater. No sin committed against us is greater than the sins that we've committed against our Savior. And yet Jesus, on the cross, forgave us. 
We can't be in right standing with God and harbor bitterness and unforgiveness. So maybe one reason why our prayer life is weak is because our prayers are hindered by unforgiveness. Is there anybody in your life whom you need to hand over to the Lord? Whom you need to take off your hook and put them on God's hook and allow him to deal with that? Beware of letting unforgiveness hinder your prayers. Here's the last key, and we'll go through this quickly. Pray for holiness. Pray for holiness. Look at verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is not saying that that God somehow tempts us. It's not saying that God is guilty of causing us to fall in temptation. Rather, uh, what Jesus is saying to ask is this. Ask about God not allowing us to give into temptation. And, And here's the amazing thing. God provides a way out of every temptation. I read this last week or recently. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's amazing. No temptation has seized you except that is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So our prayer needs to be, God, when I'm tempted, help me to see the way out that you've already provided. Because your word says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it's like my, one of my life verses. It's the first sermon I ever preached. God, remind me, help me to see that there is a way out of this. In our prayers, may our prayers be more than just give me, give me, give me. I need, I need, I need. Lord, make me holy. Make me more like you because in unholiness, when I allow sin to creep into my life and take over, it distracts me from everything else. It keeps me from doing the good works that you've called me to do. And therefore, you're not glorified because my life looks nothing like Jesus. Because I've allowed sin to reign in my mortal bodies. May our prayers be focused on holiness. And so this morning as we close, we're not going to have any action steps. Because here's the action step. Pray. (laughs) Pray. And I'm going to give you a couple minutes right now to seek the Lord in prayer. I hope you've been taking notes, at least in your, in your minds. I've given you a few keys to focus on. This isn't, a, this isn't a, uh, like a factory where we get all the steps and all the keys right, then all the doors will unlock. It's, it's rather just to help us to understand, like, how do I approach prayer? Do I approach it selfishly? Am I approaching it from a place of... Humility, And so just let me encourage you this morning as, you, as I give you a few minutes to pray quietly at your seats. Perhaps you are harboring unforgiveness towards someone. And this, this morning you need to release them. You need to hand them over to the Lord and let God deal with them. And if they haven't come to forgive you, you, you still can't harbor bitterness in your own heart. You have to trust that God is going to take care of that situation. Perhaps you've You need humility to understand that everything that you have been given is a gift from God. Maybe you need to confess in pride that you have been boastful, thinking that somehow you have provided for what you have. And you have missed the fact that your job is a gift from him. Everything you have is a gift from him. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. 
Perhaps you need humility in that. Maybe your prayers have been focused more on making your life easy when really in reality what you need to pray for is holiness because you, you've allowed cr- sin to creep into your life. Perhaps you need to pray for holiness. Maybe you have kept yourself from praying with others because of pride because you're afraid of what they think and you just need to let that go and realize it's between you and the Father. And here's the, here's the crazy part. If somebody's going to judge you for the way that you pray, doesn't that kind of reveal their own heart? So perhaps pride is keeping you from praying, or maybe you have prayed and you've tried to impress, and meanwhile your life is a mess. What is it that God is leading you to pray over? I just encourage you to spend a couple minutes now praying to the Father. Let's, let's go ahead and, and do that now. Father, what an amazing reality that we can come to you wherever we are, whenever. Father, we don't have to make an appointment. We don't need special acceptance to come see you. Lord, because of Jesus breaking the veil, tearing the veil down, he's paved a way so that we could come to you. God, would you humble us with that? God, you are are worthy of everything we can give you. God, I pray for everyone here that you would make us men and women of prayer, boys and girls of prayer. God, that we would understand how desperate we are and that we we would act out of that understanding by coming to you. God, that we would approach your throne with humility, understanding that you are the provider of everything that we need. You are the giver of every good gift. Lord, I pray that if there's bitterness in the hearts of anyone here, Lord, that you could allow them to release those people over to you so that their prayers would not be hindered. Lord, your word is clear. It says if we choose not to forgive, then you won't forgive us. What a scary reality. So God, would you overwhelm us with the gospel this morning, that you have rescued us. Our sins that caused the perfect Savior, his death, have been washed away because of that death. What an amazing reality. God, would you keep our prayers vertical, that we would spend more attention on how great you are. Lord, I'm amazed that when I truly just take time to get off of my own circumstances and turn my heart to you and your greatness, Lord, it puts all my problems into perspective. That nothing compares to you. And I can say like Paul that these moment, light momentary afflictions don't compare to the eternal way to glory that awaits us. Father, challenge us in the area of prayer, God. We desperately need you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.